I'm Nicola Foley and this is the Let's Talk About podcast. In 2018, Daniel Johnson, MSP, brought the motion of the portrayal of ADHD treatment to the Scottish Parliament for debate. Daniel was the first UK politician to not only openly discuss his ADHD diagnosis, but also his use of medication to manage the condition. Here I talk to him about his journey from diagnosis to why he felt the need to speak publicly about his condition and his future hopes for ADHD awareness. I got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult when I was 35. It was really a, a result of, uh, I think, a combination of me you know, finding things extremely difficult. Um, I, I was uh, running my own business and uh, I think increasingly sort of chasing my tail and, and kind of not really doing or, or delivering kind of what I, I felt I, I could or should. And, and it's a really profoundly feeling like I was letting off people down, sort of an inevitable knock-on into my, my personal life. And, and uh, it was my wife that, that sort of raised the possibility that maybe this was ADHD. And uh, that led to me seeking a, a diagnosis uh, and indeed, you know, going on medication, although that was that was not... That was not necessarily a quick route. It was a, certainly at least, you know, there was a, two or three sort of slight dead ends. You're going through psychotherapists and lots of sort of talking therapy, which, and then there are lots of people with ADHD who will will say that that's a really important way for them to, to, to deal with their condition. I have to say, I, I, I find someone with ADHD, I don't have the patience for it. I find it quite excruciating. Um uh, so that was a bit frustrating, but I mean, I think getting diagnosis and, and, and most importantly, you're you being prescribed medication it was, was pretty transformative. And that's not not to say that everything is is fixed, um, but I can I'm much better able to, to to cope. You know, and I think I think the best bit of sort of advice or best perspective on all of that that I was given uh, was that that, that really. You're managing uh, ADHD is about you know, pills and skills, and the, the, the pills I think get you to a point where you can actually seek to implement the skills. But it is definitely both, and, it, and, it, and to my mind, it is that sequence that for an awful lot of people with ADHD without medication, they're really trying to then implement the skills is, is difficult, if not impossible. So then I guess that the other key thing to say, sort of following that, you obviously uh, came alive to, to the, the, the Scottish Parliament, but basically just found myself. In, increasingly irritated and frustrated about the way that that, that, that medication was talked about. I mean, in general, uh, regarding mental health, obviously specifically regarding ADHD, which just led to me just saying, uh, you know, enough is enough. I, I, I am medicated. It is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. Please stop, you know, talking about prescribing rates as being a, as a bad thing in and of itself. I, I, for so many people, it's, it's, it's hugely important. And that's that's kind of really where, where, where I, you know, I, I ended up becoming somebody you know, as being sort of out and and you know uh, identified as as uh, having ADHD in, in a public position, which I, th- I think is actually really important uh, and, and really uh, uh, sort of as I move forward, I think trying to encourage other people to be much more open about their own condition. Do you know actually today if anybody else has come out with ADHD in as a member of parliament anywhere in the country, or are you still the only one? The, the, there are people that have talked about it, but I don't think they've done it quite so openly as I have. Right. The thing that really annoys me, and I shouldn't probably shouldn't get so annoyed by it, um, is the number of politicians who you will hear talking about, you know, the autistic child or, or a child with ADHD or dyslexia, and I 
have to say I'm at the point where I, I just want to start asking them, are you, are you talking about your child or are you talking about you? <laughs> and I mean, the reality is I think politics is an interesting profession because I think it does actually attract people who are neurodivergent. I think the fact that it is quite performative, I think the fact that it, it is uh, oral, um, I, I think the fact that it has lots of sort of rules and has the possibility of making change. If you're someone who is you know, struggles with unwritten social conventions, somebody who uh, is, is impatient, somebody who wants to see change, somebody who is sort of interested... Oh, that's my phone. Because I, I think it, it's quite attractive. What, so therefore, it, there are lots of people who I rather suspect are, are politicians and are uh, you know, non-neurotypical um, but they're clearly not being open. It's, be- it's getting better. So quite a few dyslexic uh, MPs So um, and, and people being open about that um, uh, on all sides of, of uh, the House of Commons. That's great. What I, I would like is more people with uh, ADHD and uh, autistic spectrum disorder to be the same because they're definitely there. And, I, I, and I, so some of them I, I definitely know and, and some of them I, I just suspect. Yeah. I have a t-shirt which says something like, I'm not staring at you, I'm diagnosing you. Because when you've been diagnosed yourself, I think you definitely recognise traits in other people. I guess that's the other thing. Is that, uh, this is one of the other elements to the debate. There's definitely those people who are meet the diagnose, diagnostic uh, criteria and thresholds. Um, but then there are many, many, many more people who, who exhibit traits uh, of all of these neurodivergent conditions. And uh, that's why actually this is so important. It's not just for the people who are diagnosed or diagnosable, but actually understanding the dimensions of the way that different people think differently or perceive the world differently is actually ha- helpful for mu- many more people than the, the sort of maybe sort of you know, 15 to 20% of people that are, are diagnosable. I mean, the, the, the vast majority of the population will exhibit traits. So actually understanding how what these things are and how they work and how you manage them is really important for, for a huge number of people, not just those with the conditions. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. So based on that, what progress has been made since it was first aired in Parliament in 2018? I think we are slowly getting neurodiversity on as, as a general concept in, in, into, into sort of the, the lexicon of uh, policy speak, which is a good thing. I think we are slowly broadening out um, the, the the fact that there is a need to, to consider other conditions, you know, not just autism. And, you know, don't for a moment get me wrong. I, I mean, I think that the, you know, the, the, the issues faced by autistic people are, are quite pronounced and, and you obviously have people who are, who are autistic with very profound levels of need uh, in a way that, that you don't really get with, with ADHD or, or, or other uh, uh, neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, but, but nonetheless, I think you know, autistic people are about 3% of the population, whereas I think the broad spectrum of uh, uh, neurodevelopmental disorders accounts for, as I say, between 15 to 20%. So I think there's a real need to, to, to expand that. But, but there's still a huge amount to achieve. Um, we're nowhere near where we need to be in terms of actually policy... You know, public policy capturing this, and this across the broad spectrum. And I think all too often this gets trapped within a sort of mental health debate and whether or not, you know, uh, is this really mental health? Is it something else? And, and, and it, it, sometimes you get into the education debate, um, but, I, I mean, uh, but I think you know, what we need is actually uh, you know, neurodiversity embedded right the way across public policy. So, so um, and, we're, and we're just no, nowhere near that yet. Uh, you, so, so 
that's about, for example, even just starting with, with education, making sure neuro- neurodiversity is really a concept that's embedded across teaching practice. And, and for the reasons I just set out, that, that actually these are, it's not just about those people that meet the diagnostic thresholds, that, that if, you, you know, if you look at the, 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 the bell curve um, and uh, you, you drew, the, drew the lines where, where people meet diagnostic thresholds, there are lots of people slightly further out on that distribution who are, who are affected um, that, that will have traits but maybe not be diagnosable. So that's really important. But, but it goes much, much more broadly than, than simply health and education. You know, if you look at um, justice, social social security, these are areas which are uh, people with uh, neurodevelopmental disorders are much more likely to to, to come into contact with those services. Uh, you, you, the statistics around incarceration are absolutely horrific. You know, so, you know, ADHD, ADHD accounts for you call it five percent of the population, but twenty five percent of the prison population. Are considered to have ADHD. Autistic people are two to three times uh, overrepresented in the, pro- the prison population. Half of all prisoners are dyslexic. Now, what what, what, you know, what that, to my mind, shows is is an absolutely catastrophic failure in public policy in, in identifying and helping these people at, at the appropriate time. Because fundamentally, that's what uh, people in, in, you know, who, who find themselves incarcerated. Certainly, when you look at that global level, that's what it tells you. It, it is these are people who who fundamentally been failed by by uh public services and public policy so so we need we need these concepts embedded right the way across uh, uh public services you know from health to education to justice to to um to social security and beyond um we, we and, and we need approaches to be joined up so that that you can uh, identify in one in one element and, and make referrals across um, and i think until we do that, we're going to continue to fail people uh, with, with ADHD, but also fail people with uh, uh, you know, other neurodevelopmental disorders as well. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the golden question that follows that then is how do we do that? What I want is it acknowledged. Um, what, you know, and I think even just requiring um, uh, you, you people developing public policy, implementing policy to, to both uh, acknowledge, but also state how they will take account of uh, ADHD and indeed other uh, neurodevelopmental disorders as a whole would make a, a big difference. So, and, and so some of that is, this is quite easy. Uh, you know, I, I think even if you, you know, if you looked at some some elements of public policy, um, you, 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 for example, in, in tertiary and, and higher education, if you just required institutions to have policies which were made them think about how they both uh, articulate uh, the, you know, their curricula, the, 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 um, how they examine, you know, that alone would make a, a huge difference to, to, to people that have reached that point in, in education. So, so some of it is actually not difficult or costly. It's just literally saying you must take account and you must explain how, how, how you will uh, deliver uh, to, to those people that are non-neurotypical. Um, other elements are, are, are probably more difficult and, and more controversial, but I, mean, I think definitely ensuring that we have um, uh, a proper cross-referral from, from education, especially primary and secondary education, into CAMS um, it, it is really critical. And actually that would help CAMS so that you're, I think you know, earlier intervention means that you, you, will, you will preempt kind of the, the, the various other things that, that can go wrong if you have uh, people who are undiagnosed. Uh, I, I think probably... Well, not probably. My, and then this is more, more controversial. I mean, I think we should be screening uh, children in primary school 
um, for, for these conditions, um, you know, using, uh, you know, not, not, not necessarily at a diagnostic level, so predictive tools um, that, that can indicate people that, that should be uh, uh, referred for, for assessment. Um, uh, but, but, you know, the, the other big, big challenge is that we need to just talk more openly about it. You know, if you look at, at people with uh, neurodevelopmental disorders, we we are some of the people that are still okay to discriminate uh, in, in society and do so openly. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, people will casually talk about people being on the spectrum. People will talk about people's uh, spelling and handwriting being a bit dyslexic. Uh, people will talk about, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, they, 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 you know, somebody should be taking their pills. That's unacceptable. Um, you, know, you know, fundamentally, I think I think that people uh, you know, uh, who are have neurodivergent disorders, people who are neurodivergent, need to understand that we're being discriminated against, and and we need to to, to make this a, a an issue for of social justice, uh, but also actually of injustice. Because again, coming back to the prison population, that, you know, if any other group in society was, you know, and what well, other groups in society who are overrepresented in prison, that that is raised as a, an issue of, of injustice. And, 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 I, and I think we need to do so with this topic. And, it, and that's increasingly how I'm understanding it. And I think it, unless we start getting, I think, um, I, 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 I think unless we, we come, I think, quite... Uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but 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 just clear about about those issues. Um, then I think we we will we'll, we will struggle to them. So I think I think we need to get a bit angry. I, I think and I think we need to be quite vociferous in in, in making those arguments uh, because I think fundamentally I think we are letting down millions of people uh, by by essentially not properly understanding the issues that they face and you know, for, for an awful lot of them especially people with ADHD, it's treatable, um, very effectively treatable. And so it's a, an absolute scandal. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the thing is as well, though, like for somebody like me, my primary diagnosis is autism and ADHD is a secondary. So I medication doesn't work for me. And in that instance, right. I think you need to look at the talking therapies a little bit more. I don't think you should ever just diagnose somebody and then give the medication and be like on your way, because I don't think that's helpful because there's a lot of strategies you can put in place that help you like CBT work brilliantly for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody. Um, but, you know, I think we've got to go back to early education. So I think that's right. And I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's why actually uh, I'm very keen on talking about neurodiversity in, in, in the round for, for lots of different reasons. I think one is that you, if you overfocus on one of them, I think you you you, you miss elements. And actually, by taking a broad approach, a I think underlines the fact this is a lot of people. You know, I think I think when you're talking about you know three percent of people being autistic or five percent people ADHD. That sounds pretty niche, but taken together, it's a huge proportion of the population. Uh, but but it, you know, they, they, they will require slightly different, although connected things. But then the other key thing, which is increasingly interesting, is comorbidity. You know, I, I, I don't think these are completely unconnected conditions that are categorised together. I, I think you know we will increasingly come to understand that they are they are they are uh, essentially uh, different presentations of, of very similar or if, if not the same underlying neurological uh, uh, issues. Uh, uh, you know, so I, I think it's actually really important to talk about them together and in the round. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Because I, I don't think I've ever met one person that I have met people that have said I'm only ADHD and I'm sitting there going, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't think you are. You've probably got some comorbid conditions. But so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not autistic, um, but I can spot the traits. And sometimes I'm sitting down listening to stuff about Austin and go, actually, that's really quite neat. And especially when you think about the social side of things, I mean, that's where there's a, there's a really common overlap. Yeah. You know, the, 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 both people with autism and ADHD really struggle with unwritten social rules uh, and, 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 and you know, making friendships and things like that. And, and I, I've always struggled with certain things. Uh, you know, and I think it's fascinating. I mean, I'm, I, you know, there's a bit of me that's maybe this, this is my sort of ADHD impatience. I really want to see where we've got to in 20 years' time and our understanding of these things because I, I know it will be quite fundamentally fundamentally different um, and. You know, there's so much more that we need to understand about it. Um, and I know we'll make that progress and, and I'm quite impatient to see where we get to. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. What can I do? What can my industry do? Because obviously, you know, when I leave university, I want to go into my industry and make films and make documentaries and make radio features. What can I do to raise awareness, to make people, I mean, is it just as simple as putting somebody with ADHD in a mainstream show and like, positively representing them not negatively like you see at the moment on tv i've never seen a positive representation of adhd on tv no i've never i mean this i mean this is the thing that that sort of was a bit of a, a penny drop moment you know we, we we are starting to see people you know positive representations of people with autism on television but adhd is still the sort of the awkward child i mean it feels like dyslexia was sort of the, the vanguard and you know that was the it's, it's perfectly acceptable to have dyslexia now, and you know, you know, now we've sort of managed to get autism there. But dyslexia, but ADHD is still, is still the one where you know, is it real? Is it just actually an excuse for bad parenting? We really need, I think, po- positive representation. It's about pe- te- people telling stories. Um, you know, I think that you know, one of the issues I think with anything like this is that that that. that People will be inclined to try and talk about it just in statistics and kind of things like that. That doesn't really make a difference. What what people need is is for stories, and that's that's so. So, so from your perspective, absolutely. You know, whether it's it's you know, positive portrayals or uh, in, in fiction, or if it's documentaries, you know, tr- tracking people uh, with, with ADHD. I mean, I think Rory Bremner has you know done a huge amount on, on this in terms of. You know, having those documentaries discussing kind of his journey uh, with ADHD, and I think we need other public people uh, with ADHD. You know, and there are an increasing number out there to, to, to do the same. And, and I and I think it's why I'm particularly you know, keen on, on 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 those people, you know, you know or those politicians uh, with uh, uh, who are non-neurotypical to be much more open about it and discuss kind of the, the because I think until you do that, until you hear about what it's like. You know, uh, what the issues that that, that that are faced and how people overcome them, you're never going to make that 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 progress in terms of general understanding, because there will just be statistics and a, and a, and a, and a sort of a medical name uh, rather than a set of experiences that people can relate to. And that's that's ultimately how we'll make make a difference. Yeah, and I think from our point of view, especially. I think it's really important for people. My life was a car crash before I got a diagnosis. And that wasn't because getting a diagnosis changed who I was as a person. It was because it changed everybody else's attitude towards me as a person. It was because it opened doors that I couldn't access before with help and assistance. You know, I just needed a little bit of help. I just needed a little bit of adjustments at university. 
I've always wanted to go there. I've always wanted to get a degree. I've always wanted to do something really productive with my life. And I've never had the opportunity because I had this barrier. And the difference it makes when you get that diagnosis, it really is like the golden ticket. You've just won the lottery. It's just like your life can completely transform. And that sounds dramatic, but it's true. No, absolutely. And I think the other thing I'd say is that it, 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 I mean, for me, certainly, it gave me a kind of a, a set of terms and understandings that, that allowed me to get to grips with what, what was going on. Uh, you know, and I, just having that vocabulary to describe um, you know, how, how kind of things are for me and, 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 and what I have to cope with, you know, that in and of itself, if nothing else, you know, it's, it's why, you know, when people talk about the labels thing, it, 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 again, irritates me a little bit. It's, you know, the diagnosis, in some ways, is neither here nor there. It's the understanding that, 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 that gives you the, the terminology and the ability to explain. Um, so, you know, for, for me, it, you know, it's not... The, 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 the label is, is pretty uninteresting, but the language and the understanding of the terminology is massively useful. Um, and it's why actually coming back to that overlap between ADHD and, and, and autism, uh, uh, I mean, what I find fascinating is I find an awful lot of that, you know, the, the, sort of the, the, the understandings around autism incredibly helpful for me as well. And that, that's because you know, some of them are the same and, and then some of them are, are similar, but actually apply in a slightly different way. And, and, and that, you know, the more we can build on that and build that sort of understanding and that terminology the more it's going to be helpful for neurodiverse people. But, but I, I, you know, I, I genuinely think for, for, for everybody. Yeah, I totally agree. Because every, every adjustment that's ever been put in place for my son in his class has helped everybody in the class. So it never just helps yes. him. <laughs> so, well, yeah, completely. Visual timetables are a classic example. Yeah. You, know, you know, introduced for, for, for children with autism. But I think you know, you've now seen them in just about every single classroom you ever go into because every child finds it helpful to know what they're meant to be doing now and what's coming up through the rest of the day so that they can prepare themselves for for what's coming up. Yeah. It's just a good idea. Yeah. So what am I going to do today going away from this interview to make a difference? I think it's just talking and trying to talk to as many people and get as many people to engage as possible. And I think, uh, sorry, that's probably a bit um, unhelpful in terms of being very broad, but I I mean, it really is as simple as that. I mean, it's certainly how I view things. I I don't think there's any sort of one magic thing that any one person can do, but I think the more... We can talk about it. Um, the more that we, we can impress upon people how much of an issue this is, uh, the, the better chance we have of making progress. Okay. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been really nice speaking to you. Likewise. <laughs> Thank Brilliant. you. And Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by Nicola Foley and Buzzsprout. Music and sound effects from Zaps Black and Adobe. Poem by Jean Willis. Read by Zoe Bailey and Ivo DeMeyer. Thank you to my guests, MSP Daniel Johnson, Dr. Tony Lloyd, Lorna Fotheringham and Hugo Maynell.